0: All right. Good morning, church. All right. A way of reminder. I just want to remind you guys: there are two services, and the first service is about sixty percent full. So, if any of you uh, feel not like a lazy church, um, then you can come to the. Some of you got it. Some. You can always come to the first service, which usually gets full in the summertime. Go figure. All right, so this morning we're going to continue on our sermon series of a church on mission. Um, And we found out when we started this series way back in January, we found out that um, our church has a mission from God. And matter of fact, God has given all churches the same mission. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Uh, When Jesus commands his disciples, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I've commanded you. And then he says, and then, and I will be with you to the end of the age. Uh, we looked at that during the first sermon in this series, and we boiled that down to really two principles that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live like Jesus and to share him always. All right, if you guys would mind, stand with me, and we're going to repeat this new mission statement Please say it with me. Lazy Mountain Bible Church. Okay, exercise is over. You can sit now. All right, so my goal at the end of this is for you to know the mission statement. Um, because this is what we're called to do. We're called to live like Jesus lived. We're called to share him always. And you remember the first three sermons, we talked about what Jesus wanted his disciples to do. The first sermon we said, well, Jesus wanted his disciples to serve. Uh, we are to serve and not cut in line. And uh, we got the picture of um, Christianity isn't, uh, was never designed by Jesus for us to stand in line receiving service from him. Instead, Jesus said, those of you who want to be first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Um, The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, to give his life as a ransom for many. And we get the picture here that Jesus doesn't want us to, to be waiting on, he wants us to wait on people. And so we are to serve, we're not supposed to cut in line. Um... There's another one, and by the way, eventually all of these statements are going to be on the soffits in the sanctuary, and the mission statements are going to be on the sidewalls up here, because we're trying to build a culture, a family with statements, Um, and so this would be the first one, we serve, we don't cut in line, here's the second one, we speak scriptures and we point to Jesus. In other words, we're supposed to know God's word, Jesus, everywhere he went, he spoke God's word. And then he basically said, you can't fulfill it, I'm the one who fulfills it, trust in me. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to tell people, this is what scripture says, uh, but you can't be saved by what you know. It's only by who you know that fulfilled all the scripture, and that's Jesus Christ. And so he points to himself, and uh, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to share God's word with people, and we're supposed to point to Jesus as the one who can fulfill it for them. Uh, then the third thing we're supposed to do to live like Jesus is we're supposed to be led by the spirit. We are supposed to be people who are spiritually, uh, we're spiritually directed by God. And so we don't just live for physical things, uh, which is really hard being American because we are like Madonna. We're material girl. No, we're material people. Say, Jason, don't go there. Um, We're material people, and a lot of the times we are not led spiritually because we keep on filling up our spiritual needs with material stuff. And Jesus wants us to be different. He wants to be led by prayer. He wants us to be directed by the Spirit. He wants us to live spiritual lives. We're led by the Holy Spirit. So those are the three things that Jesus did. He showed us that he wants us to do. And then... Now we're talking about how he wants us to share him with other people. Because he said, go and make disciples. And then he said, baptizing them, which means conversion. We're supposed to share him with other people. How do we do that? We found the first sermon with this one is, uh, we're all in the same boat. And that was last week. We talked about how we're all in the same boat. We talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector and the parable that Jesus gave, how the Pharisee uh, said, thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. I'm not like this tax collector. I'm not a robber. I'm not a felon. He basically boasted of all the good things that he had done. And the tax collector stood there and said, God, have mercy on a sinner like me. And Jesus said, the one who went home justified or righteous in God's eyes was the tax collector. And we're supposed to be the same. We are supposed to be just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. We're not better than people who aren't Christian. The only difference is, is that we've been forgiven because we chose Christ to pay for our sins. That's the only difference. And so we are all in the same boat. Now, this morning is the second sermon, and then the last sermon will be next week. Uh, this sermon is, is that uh, we, we build bridges, not walls. Jesus built bridges to people to share himself with. He did not build walls to keep people out. And uh, that is something that the church has always struggled with. In my family, by the way, we have sayings. I'm sure all of you have sayings too. Uh, My grandmother used to say cleanliness is next to godliness Jason how many of you have that in your house yeah that's not in the bible um, but, but she used to say that and we have one in our family that's pretty predominant I've always taught my children this it was, uh, it's uh, hey work hard play hard um, we want to instill in our children that if they work hard they can play hard in a culture where everybody thinks they're owed something without working And so we wanted to not pretend like that was true, because it's not. Uh, You reap what you sow, and the only thing free in this life is uh, salvation in Jesus Christ. And so we wanted to make sure our kids... So the reason why I bring this up is because this whole sermon series about Church on Mission is so that we can, as Lazy Mountain Church family, have sayings that are common to us. And so these sayings are going to be up on the wall. We, we serve, we don't cut in line. Eventually, we're going to put them very nice and neat on the wall. And every time the sermon alludes to this spiritual truth, we're going to point to it and say, hey, we're all in the same boat. And everybody knows what we mean. Does everybody see why we're doing this? We're creating a family atmosphere here. That's what we're doing. So let's get to this one. We build bridges, not walls. Now, in America... We've always struggled with this. A matter of fact, I'm pretty sure for the last 2,000 years, Christians have struggled with this. This idea of um, we are supposed to be holy, and therefore, um, how, how do we live holy while we're in this world? And a lot of the times, what Christianity has done is we've retreated from the world when we were supposed to be advancing towards it. And so, um, we have cultural wars uh, back in the... Um, 1950s and 60s, we had a cultural war against evolution and, and creation. And uh, if you look at some of the seminaries that were founded, Bible colleges founded during that, that whole um, debate, you will find that a lot of seminaries and Bible colleges actually built walls around their campuses, which is very interesting. And, and we've as symbolically as Christians, we have done this. We've, we've really, really struggled with keeping the world out. And uh, what I'm going to propose to you today is Jesus didn't do that. He went into the world. He built bridges. He didn't put up walls. Please turn to John chapter 4, verse 1 through 26. How, how can we build bridges and share Jesus with people instead of building walls that keep people away? Well, here's the first principle we see, that we can build bridges like Jesus did when we see holiness and compassion working together. Holiness and compassion are supposed to work together. God says, be holy because I am holy. And he tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to tell them to repent. Because he is compassionate and merciful. So God is holy and he's compassionate. And he's calling us to be holy and compassionate, which means we have to put them together. You see, because there's a, there's a certain thought in Christianity that holy means separate, which it does for sure. It means separate, it means uh, without sin, it means, but but then we realize. Jesus never separated himself from people. He was holy in of himself. Notice what he does here and how he balances holiness with compassion in verse 1 through 9. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone in the town to get food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for the Jews did not associate with Samaritans? So here's the first thing we see. Um, We see Jesus approaching this person who is known as a Samaritan. And that's the first thing that strikes us. Um, Let me ask you something. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of words and I want you to tell me what's the first thing that pops in your mind. Pimp. Not pimple, pimp. Prostitution, what's a pimp do though? Uses someone else in order to gain money. Do, do you see it? Okay, okay. So, so how about a drug dealer? What's the first thing that pops in your mind? Sells something that's illegal that destroys other people for money. Do, do you see? Okay, these are the images. That's why they're negative images. When, when this culture would have heard the word Samaritan, they would not have thought of a drug dealer and a pimp. That's not what they're thinking. When they hear the word Samaritan, they're thinking of cult. These are wolves who twist God's word for their own liking and they're dangerous. Uh, You can fill any modern cult into this, and this is exactly how they saw them, and they would stay away from them because they believed that if they surrounded themselves with these people, they would become unclean, they would become with sin. And so they, they separated themselves. Well, oh, here's the interesting thing Jesus did not separate himself from Samaritans. And this is teaching us something because he treats her like a human, he treats her with dignity and, and value. Matter of fact, rabbis weren't supposed to talk to women without someone else there. Jesus is talking to this woman, and she, at worst, she's a Samaritan. And then he asked her for a drink. And he's insinuating, I'll drink from the same cup you drink. He's not separating himself at all. He's building a bridge. And uh, this is where I want to camp for a second. Samaritans, many of you know they were known as half-breeds. Now, it's not that the Old Testament was racist. Uh, God in the Old Testament had told his people not to marry people who were unbelievers who worshipped other false gods. God told his people not to do that. However, they were free to marry people who converted to Judaism. Okay, so God wasn't a racist God in the Old Testament. That's not what we're looking at here. The problem is, is in 722 BC, the king of Assyria invaded the northern tribe of Israel and took all their citizens and scattered them out in in Persia and then took all the people from different lands and brought them into Israel. And those people married the leftovers of Israel during that time. And so they brought the worship of their own gods. Matter of fact, we know that the Samaritans, they said, we worship the Lord, but then they worshiped all these other gods. It was to be like a Christian today who said, I'm Christian, but I believe all paths lead to the same God. It's very much what the Samaritans were doing. Matter of fact, we find this in 2 Kings 17.33. It talks about... How the Samaritans were acting when they were when they were uh, intermingling and then brought into the country of Israel, it says in Second Kings seventeen thirty three, they feared the Lord and served their own God. They feared the Lord and served their own gods, according to the custom of the nations from which they came from, or they were carried to in an exile. And so, they they these people were not only serving Yahweh. They took Yahweh. As a matter of fact, we have artifacts where we've got the name of Yahweh and Baal, the false God, with, used together as one God. And so um, it's very much taboo uh, to be ministering to Samaritans. As a matter of fact, they didn't even talk to him. When the Pharisees wanted to uh, take a jab and twist a knife in Jesus' back, they called him a Samaritan. That's very much what they did. That's why Jesus uses in the, the neighbor who loves his neighbor is the image of a Samaritan. He did that intentionally because they hated them. But here's one thing that I want to point out that Jesus believes that we need to believe. Sin comes from within. Can everybody say that? Sin comes from within. This is what Jesus has been preaching. This is what he believes. And that is the reason why he's okay to associate with Samaritan. And we have to believe that too. Matter of fact, no one will become a Christian unless other Christians believe that sin comes from my own heart, not from who I associate with. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees were criticizing him and his disciples for not washing their hands because they believed that if you didn't wash your hand, the food that you went into became sinful, because it was dirty. And uh, listen to what Jesus says in Mark 7, verse 18 through 23. "Don't, Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it is from within, out of the person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, law, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these come from inside and defile a person. So when Jesus looks at the Samaritan woman, he is not—he's not paranoid, thinking that she's going to cause him to sin, because he realizes that it's in our own hearts that this comes. Um, unfortunately, we sometimes avoid people and uh, we isolate ourselves. And uh, I, I do want to make a qualification here. I will say this: I think it's wise when our kids are small to control their environment until they're ready to handle the environment that they're in. That makes sense. Anyone for throwing a kid in a lion's den? No. Anyone for throwing an adult in a lion's den? No. Uh, but but wisdom is known by its children. And so the truth is we have to grow our kids up to be prepared to be salt and light in a world that is against God. So what we do as parents is we create boundaries as our kids are being raised and we start loosening those boundaries as they mature. But there's a problem. Everybody say problem. Problem is a lot of the times we create really strict boundaries for our kids. And we hold them in these boundaries. And we don't allow them to associate with any unbelievers. And we talk about unbelievers as those people out there that do those bad things. And we never realize that our kids' hearts are evil, just like the people out there. And we spend all our time sheltering our kids and never realizing that they need to convert and believe in Jesus Christ. And they could know 2,000 scriptures and they think of scriptures as, I won awards repeating these scriptures. But we as parents have to use the scriptures to point them to Jesus. We speak scripture and point to Jesus. And when our kids lie, we, we use the scripture to show them they need Jesus. And when our kids hit the other sibling, we use scripture to point to Jesus, and and so what I'm trying to say is you can protect your kids from the culture all day long, but you can't protect kids from their heart. And until their heart changes, they aren't ready for the culture. And here's the unfortunate thing. You can't force your children's heart to change. They have to accept it themselves. So sometimes we grow kids up as homeschoolers who turn out to be drug users. And we miss it. We miss it. We miss this idea that we should have prepared their heart, not just shelter them. It's, it's both and we have to be careful with that. We also need to know this: that people don't become Christian unless they've experienced mercy. People have to ex- receive mercy. This Samaritan woman has to be able to be approached by Jesus in order to receive Jesus as her Savior. If no one approaches her, she won't become a Christian. And if we shelter ourselves off in our home and our school, down south, it's really crazy. Down in Texas, they got Christian supermarkets. You could, I know a church. I know a church. They, they, they kind of nickname it Preston World. It's called Preston Wood. And in Preston world, you could go to that church, you could shop, you could put your kids in high school, you could do all your sports there, you can work out in their gym, and you don't ever have to come in contact with any unbeliever ever. Now, I don't think that the leadership intentionally designed it that way, and I'm not trying to, I'm just saying, if we wanted to as Christians, we could totally uh, be separate and therefore, we complain about our country, not being Christian and going down the tubes. Yet we ourselves don't engage non-Christians. And we have to be careful with that. There was once an anthropology class, a University of Ohio, and uh, with a very famous uh, anthropologist teacher. And uh, she was teaching on the South Pacific Islands. She did a lot of work in her doctorate in this area. And one of the students asked her, "Hey, hey, professor, can you tell me?" What is the earliest signs that we have of civilization? What's one of the earliest evidences of civilization in the South Pacific? And he was thinking she was going to say like a, a, a fishing hook or a clay pot. Or, and she said, well, the earliest sign we have in the South Pacific of evidence of the earliest people is a healed femur bone. And then she made this statement. If they were healing femur bones that earlier, it was not a survival of the fittest situation. In order to survive, some people actually had to go hunt and gather for this person who had a broken bone. You see, I challenge you. Today, when we are done with church, I want you to go find someone. And I want you to ask them, who in your family came to Christ first and how did they receive mercy? Because there's no one in this room who's here, who is here, whose ancestors did not receive mercy at some time. Jesus had to heal your broken bone through someone else before our family members heard the gospel and turned it to Christ. And we have to do the same. We have to go to the lowest of the low. We've got to go to Samaritans. And until we are comfortable with doing that, we will not see huge revival in America. How can we build bridges and not put up walls that keep us away from people? We see holiness and compassion working together. Here's the second way that we're supposed to do this. How how do we build bridges like Jesus did? We drive discussions to spiritual needs. We have to drive discussions to spiritual needs. This is what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he used the physical and he pointed to the spiritual. Everywhere he went, I am the bread of life. He's talking about the bread that he uh, fed the 5,000 with, and he's pointing to their need for him as their source of nutrition. He uses all these physical things to point to the spiritual, and that's what he's doing with this woman. But um, a lot of the times we're not ready to talk about spiritual things, so watch how Jesus does this in verse 10 through 18. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, he's talking about himself, And who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water i give him will never thirst indeed the water i give him will become in him a spring of living water springing up to eternal life the woman said to him sir give me this water so i won't get thirsty and have to come here and draw this water and he told her go and call your husband and come back i have no husband she said Jesus replied to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now, you, the, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. That is the... Um, duh. <laughs> um, let's look at this really quick. Unpack this for a second. See what Jesus does. He approaches this woman who obviously is outside the realm of salvation. She's not saved. She's a Samaritan. No one else is approaching her. And he, he uses what everyone needs, water, and shows her that she has a need that's not being fulfilled and spiritualizes water. And he says, if you knew who asked you and the gift of God, you would ask me. And I would give you living water flowing up with inside you. And you would never be thirsty again. And she doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. Now, do you remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at this where um, people are hard of hearing. It says, although they, although they were hearing, they, they could not hear. Although they saw, they could not see. And we realized that, that really Jesus talked a lot about spiritual things and people couldn't understand it. That's what we got here it's like the parable of the seeds jesus is the farmer and he's casting out seeds of god's word and the seed is falling on the rocky soil and it's not penetrating the soil he is casting seed here he is saying you need me to give you something in order to fulfill your need and she doesn't understand it matter of fact we know that jesus is talking about the holy spirit And the reason why we know this is John chapter 7, three chapters later, Jesus says this, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He's saying to her, you have a need. And we all know this and I've preached this many times it's very true we we all understand this. All of us are looking and longing for something. And all, what we do is before we're Christians we usually take everything that God has made in the creation and try to fill the hole in our heart that only God can fill. We use sex, we use money, we use greed, we use whatever people pleasing we try to become famous. We try to become whatever it is. We use things to try to fill up the hole in our heart. And, and Jesus is saying this to her. You need living water that never ends. You need spiritual transformation. And she doesn't get it. So what does Jesus do? He brings in a John Deere to plow up the soil of our heart. I'm serious, y'all. Jesus is bringing a jackhammer in. Now, you can't do this. Everybody say, you can't do this. Yeah, because you're not God, and you don't know sins, people's sins in their heart. It's one thing if someone tells you their sin, but, you know, most people, they hide their sin, don't they? It's just like last week. I, had, I was covering up egg. We dress up really well. We hide things. We pretend. And so she's hiding. And Jesus, so, so the seed didn't work. So here's what Jesus does. He takes a John Deere, and he starts plowing her heart, and he says this. Go get your husband. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Now what Jesus has done is said, oh no, you need the water I'm talking about because what you've been doing is you've been taking relationships and trying to get your need for God met from your husband. And that's why you've had five of them. That's what's happening. I would love to say that doesn't happen today, but I know many of marriages have gotten in trouble because the spouse thought the other one could give them what only God could give them. And it never works. And this is what we see here. She's broken. She needs Jesus. And so he is revealing now her sin. And look how mild he does it. Go call your husband. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't guilt her. He doesn't rub dirt in her face. He just says, go get your husband. I want you to recognize why you need me. They said, well, Jason, how do we do this like Jesus? How do we go to spiritual conversations like this? Well, here's the first thing. You're not Jesus. And so there's one principle here, by the way, the most famous verse in the Bible that everyone has memorized is not John 3.16 anymore. It's John 7. I'm sorry. It's Matthew 7.1. Do not judge lest ye be judged. That is the most famous Bible in the verse, and all unbelievers quote it, Right? So here's what I'm trying to say. It's not our job to judge or try to find someone's sin. That's not how God uses Christians in order to show non Christians how they need Jesus. What, G- what God does is He uses us as a city on a hill, He uses us as a lamp on a lampstand. What we do is we just normally are excited about God. We are very transparent. You know, it's really unfortunate in America. There's two things that we don't talk about at Thanksgiving. And what are they? And what are they? And you all know this. And, you know, most of you feel guilty now. And that was not my objective. I want you to quit thinking about trying to convert people. Put that out of your mind. You can't convert anyone. You don't have the power to do it. Don't, don't think like that. Instead, think about your own walk with God and then share what God has been doing in your life. And now we got a recipe that helped people convert. It's like this. Who of you went on treasure hunts when you were kids? And to find the treasure, were you excited when you found the treasure? Oh, even if it was pretend, Right. Who have you watched Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? Uh huh. Who have you dreamed about getting the golden ticket? Mom, Dad, take me to the candy store. I know it's not real, but I want a candy bar. And you, you were thinking, you, you know, if you were to open up that candy bar with the golden ticket, what would you feel? <laughs> Over the moon, excited. And this is what I'm trying to say. When we walk with God, like Jesus walked with God, we have a relationship where he reveals stuff to us. We pray. And when we pray, we see God show up and he answers prayers and we get... And listen, if I have a relationship with God with when I pray and he shows up in prayers, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk about it. How many of you single people... Hey, all you single people, how many of you are dating someone and you don't talk to anyone about whom you're dating? I'll show you you don't love them. You don't care for them. But how many of you, when you date someone, you can't stop talking about them? Mom, you won't believe it. She is amazing. She cooks almost like you, Mom. I mean, mean, I'm not talking about you. Um, it's impromptu um, I'm in trouble uh, where's like going we get excited we get excited and this is how it's supposed to be when we counter unbelievers we're supposed to be excited and have our excitement of our relationship with God as he's shown us stuff in scripture as he's answered our prayers we are naturally sharing our excitement with them and you know what happens they become convicted because they don't have that And here's the weird thing, you don't even mean to judge them by it, but God starts convicting them in judgment by it, because that's how the spirit works. Sometimes we wrestle with sin, and as we wrestle with sin, we verbalize it, we tell unbelievers, I'm sorry, that's not what God wanted. I'm sorry I did that, I sinned against you, that's not what, how many of you ever told an unbeliever, I'm sorry, I sinned against you? Did you know that's an opportunity to share Jesus with them? How many of you have told your kids, "I'm sorry, I sinned"? Did you realize that as an opportunity to share with them that mom and dad are broken too, and they need Jesus too? Quit pretending to be religious. Instead, look at Jesus as our spiritual manna, and out of that we start sharing. There's a one one verse here that is really illustrative of this, and I'll and I'll end on this verse and move to the next point. But there there was once when. Um, David, King David, do you remember King David and his adultery with Bathsheba? So he committed adultery with Bathsheba, which was Uriah's wife. And Uriah was one of his best uh, men in the army, one of the men of valor, one of the strongest men. And Uriah and the whole army, they were out on the front lines battling, and King David was supposed to be with them. And he wasn't. He stayed home and to drink and eat and relax. He ended up having an affair, an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and he got her pregnant. And then he strategized. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring Uriah back home. I'm going to get him drunk and I'm going to tell him to go home. He's trying to cover his misdeeds, (laughs) But Uriah doesn't go home. And the next day, King David wonders why he didn't go home. Listen to how what Uriah tells David is convicting David and he doesn't know it. Listen to what he says. Uriah says to King David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? Oh, David should have repented right there. That is what David did. And it wasn't his wife. It was someone else's. He sent his men out to do his dirty work. He wasn't with them. God on the ark was on the front lines and he was back doing things he shouldn't be doing. And uh, you see what? Uriah had no idea God was using him. That's the majority of us when we're witnessing for Christ. We have no idea the seeds that we're planting when we're just excited about walking with God. Number three, how can we build bridges and share Jesus with people? This is the last one. We need to avoid detours and focus on relationship with God. Notice what happens here. Jesus reveals the five husbands thing, right? It's a source of very sensitive issue for this woman. Because she is at the well at noon, all the women, all the women came to the well in the morning or the evening, and they all came with other friends to protect each other. She's alone in the middle of the day. What's that tell you? She's been ostracized because who wants to travel with the woman who had five husbands because your husband's next? That's real. That's real. That's what's happening. And she is at the well alone, and she changes the subject because now things have gotten really real. How many of you, when your skeletons are revealed in your closet, you just like to close that closet as quickly as possible? Let's get that closet door shut. So, what does she do? She changes the subject to a theological debate. See, we're really good at this. Adam and Eve, they didn't have any theology. Adam and Eve, they sinned and they ran behind a fig leaf, which was really not smart. They should have chose like a banana leaf or, or, you know, a palm tree or something. You know, something a little bit more substantial. Well, what she's doing is, is she's running from all her skeletons by going to a theological argument, which Christians are really good at. Notice what happens here in verse 19 through 26. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet, understatement of the East Century, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and it now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to me. And Jesus declared, I, I am the one who speaks to you. She goes off on a sidetrack to cover her tracks. Theological debate. What was the debate? The Samaritans had actually built a temple on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And there was a temple in Jerusalem. However, that temple on Mount Gerizim got destroyed 100 years before Jesus was talking to her from the Maccabees in in about 128 B.C. And so the temple was no longer there. Here's what this tells you. She has never worshipped God at the temple. She's not allowed in the Jerusalem temple. She's, not, she's got the cards stacked against her. So when Jesus answers her, he goes, he's basically saying, it doesn't really matter where you worship anymore because all that's changing. And he doesn't advocate, by the way. He doesn't avoid the truth. He says, salvation is from the Jews. You, you, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. He's, see, they only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't believe in the whole Old Testament. Jesus is basically authenticating the whole Old Testament here. He's saying, you worship what you don't know, but salvation is from, and then he changes it. He said, it's not about worship, it's not about a temple, it's about salvation. Salvation is from the Israelites, from the Jews. And then he gets down to what she really needs to know. And this is the problem. The problem is, as Christians, we get really heady, and we start talking about stuff that doesn't matter, and we allow the conversation to get sidetracked. And it's okay to do apologetics. I think it's okay to defend the faith. But be careful because a lot of people are trying to raise questions of Christianity because sin has been revealed in their life and they're running. No, no, no. When that happens, uh, we need to show them what a relationship with God looks like. Spirit and truth. Truth is this. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Here's the truth. You can't worship God without Jesus. That's the truth. So when we're with people, we need to show them why we need Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Hey, we speak scriptures and we... Come on, you guys. This is our family motto. We speak scriptures and we... That's right. You're going to say this at least 2,000 times while I pastor here, right? We speak scripture and we, that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm the truth. And those who want to worship the father, it's not about a place anymore. It's only through me. And then he says, it's in the spirit. And this is beautiful because she hasn't worshiped in her lifetime because she's not allowed in the temple at Jerusalem. And there is no temple on Mount Gerizim. Do you know in order for a woman to worship, she had to have a mikvah? She had to have a bath, a a baptismal, every time she wanted to worship. You know, she had to come with an animal. And then when she got to the temple in Jerusalem, which this woman couldn't do, but when she got in the temple of, of Israel, she could only be in the outer courts. The Gentiles, who weren't Jewish, were allowed in the outer courts. Then the women were allowed. And then you could go into the second gate. And in the second gate, the Religious Jewish men were allowed, and then they couldn't go so far. They could only go so far, and then the priests were allowed next to God. And here's what Jesus is saying. I'm eliminating that whole system. I'm fulfilling it because worship can only happen through me because I'm the only one who can pay for it. That's why Jesus says, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's why Jesus says, I can give you living water to cleanse you, to fulfill your need. That's why Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He's talking about the show bread. <laughs> That's why, Je- I mean, all these things. Jesus says, I am the temple. Kill me, and three days later, I will rise. He, everything he's doing, is pointing to himself. He would say, well, Jason, Jason, this really is heavy theology. I agree. But what would have the Samaritan woman hear? I'm going to share very easily. Here's what she would have heard. No one is beyond the grasp of God. Everyone has abandoned you. You have no friends. And your sin hangs on you. If you take the water I give you. You can worship God today. Here and now. And be accepted by him. How dare the church take any stand against any particular sin. For we're all in the same boat let's pray father we pray lord god that you would help us to be like your son jesus that we would build bridges and lord god we would be known as a people who are merciful because you came and you expressed mercy on us None of us would be here unless you had mercy on us and approached us first. Jesus, you said that the Father is seeking those to worship in spirit and truth. And Lord God, it's so beautiful that you sent your Son to tell the Samaritan woman that you were seeking her. We are so grateful that you approach us as sinners before we clean up. Now help us, Lord God. Give us the wisdom, give us the grace. To approach those who aren't like us. It's in your name we pray Jesus. Amen. Hey you have homework today. Find someone you don't know. Ask them who in their family tree received mercy. From another Christian. So that you could be here.